Fortress Canine Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 46 of the Protection Dog Podcast, where we offer an alternative to conventional training methods and philosophy. And I'm your host, Joel Riles, and today we are going to ask and attempt to answer the question, will my dog protect me? This is a question I hear or a statement I hear all the time from people. Oh, my dog barked at somebody. I know they will protect me. But before we get into that and I dash all your hopes into tiny little pieces, let's talk about our sponsor, Fortress Canine. Fortress Canine dogs will definitely protect you. Fortress K9 is bringing peace of mind through protection dogs. We have personal, family, and executive protection dogs available. You can find out more information about our dogs that are trained specifically to be safe for you, your children, your guests, moving in public, wherever it is you go. But they are also trained, willing, and capable to bring a high degree of violence to defend you and to end a threat very quickly so that you and your family can be safe and can move about with your lives. So if you'd like to find out more information, you can visit our website, FortressK9.com. You can email me at Joel, J-O-E-L, at FortressK9.com. And the Fortress K9 is Fortress and the letter K, the number nine on both of those. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook at Fortress K9 Dogs on Instagram at Fortress Canine and you can search for Fortress Canine on YouTube and see some of our videos there as well. All right, so let's go ahead and get into today's topic. So I actually labeled this one, my dog will protect me, dot, 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 no it won't. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is Uh, There may be a lot of people listening to this who are interested in getting a dog or who already have a dog, but your dog doesn't have any actual training in how to fight a human being. Um, And I would include in that even at least the the ability to get over the hesitation to use their mouth that sports will at least give you. And they just think, and this may be you, that their dog will protect them, okay? Okay. And I wanted to talk about the difference between a dog being protective versus a dog protecting its people, its handlers, its family, right? It's kind of like the difference between a mother who, when, you know, danger comes, she shields her children with her body, right? That's a mother who's being protective. She's trying to protect her children but she's doing it by shielding them. And once she's gone, once she's dead, because she's not doing anything to defend herself as well, the children are now vulnerable to whoever it was that harmed the mother, right? So in the same sense, a dog may bark or may try to show some level of aggression, but if the person isn't deterred by that, and many people would be in fairness, but there are plenty of people out there who wouldn't be. And if they're not deterred by the fact that the dog may posture a little bit, the dog will then do nothing. Um, primarily, they'll run away. and um, Or even if they stay in proximity, they'll, they'll maintain a certain distance from the person, five to 10 feet typically, and they'll, they'll just kind of bark and just stand in that position. That's your best case scenario 
uh, for dogs that haven't been trained to actually fight a human. And so um, this presents a real problem for people who are living in the world of pretending that they're, they have protection, but who actually don't. It's like carrying around a gun with no bullets in it. Um, it's like, well, maybe you can draw that gun and say, hey, stay back or I'm gonna shoot you. But if you actually have to use the trigger, nothing's going to happen. It's just going to go click, right? So I'm gonna go back to a study that was done. It was actually a, a news channel. Uh, and I may be able to find this on YouTube and put it in the show notes. I'll attempt to do that. I can't promise that it'll be there. Um, but there was a, it was probably like a 15 to 20 minute uh, news story where they talked to, I think, four or five different families that had uh, essentially German Shepherd type dogs. And all of these people said, yes, my dog will protect our house. Uh, that's what they're here for. They're a protection dog, but they, they had no formal protection training for these dogs. And, um, and so the news channel said, well, would you mind if we do like a mock uh, robbery at your house and we'll, let's see how your dogs act. And so the, all, all four or five of these people agreed to do that. And they, um, they would leave their door unlocked so that the news team could come in and they would have like a camera guy behind a guy wearing a bite suit so that if they did actually protect, um, you know, he would be protected. And, uh, and they came in and I think it was four families because three of the four dogs um, either just came up and were like, hey, new person that I have no idea who you are, why don't you pet me on the head? So they either did that, I think one of them did that, two of them uh, barked just a little bit and then ran away. So they ran to like the back of the house somewhere. And only one of them barked and kind of semi stood his ground. Uh, although when the person would put any kind of pressure on the dog, which by that what I primarily mean is they would move toward the dog uh, and they wouldn't back down when the dog was barking. Anytime they would move forward, he would back away. Now, all of these responses are responses that I see routinely in young dogs or dogs that don't have any experience and we're just starting them in bite work. These are the responses that they have. These are the responses that an average person has to someone who's being aggressive, right? Very few people, unless you've trained yourself to overcome a resistance or hesitation to interpersonal conflict, to fighting with somebody, unless you've built a resistance to that and you overcome it, 98% of people, according to the statistics that I've heard, have this phobia, the phobia of interpersonal conflict. It's considered a universal phobia. And so they will do almost anything they can to avoid having a fight, right? They'll run away, they'll try and talk their way out of it, they'll just kind of cower down and, and you know take the beating, but they will, as a general rule, they will not engage someone who's trying to fight them. A, a kind of a movie example of this, but it is it is representative of what actually happens in most cases is in the movie Fight Club when they're given the task that you have to go pick a fight with somebody and lose, right? And so in order to lose, the person has to fight back and it, it spends like five minutes in the movie kind of showing um, the, the things that people would try to do to get these people to fight with them so that they could lose, right? And this has been true also in my own personal experience. One of the things um, 
that it's still kind of surprising to me because they have the dog there, they, they have something that will protect them. But when I have somebody who has never done bite work with a dog before, so this could be a client who's purchasing a new protection dog, and, uh, and so the protection dog is trained, but the person has never um, had any kind of real interpersonal conflict, or it could be somebody who just purchased a puppy uh, and wants to do the training themselves, they very frequently will have almost an anxiety attack type of level response to the stress. And keep in mind, I'm not attacking the handler in any of these situations. We're just bringing the dog out, right? So there's, there's usually a couple of other dogs around that are barking. Um, and then we're bringing their dog into the work, whether the dog's already been trained and, and we're just basically showing them how their dog defends and protects them. Um, or the dog hasn't been trained and the dog is, is being brought into the work. In both these situations, I've had people, male and female, basically shut down, right? Like I give them basic instructions. This is what I want you to do. I want you to stand there, I want you to do this, blah, blah, blah. It's very simple instructions to, to do X, Y, and Z. And as soon as we start the scenario, nothing. They do nothing. Uh, or they don't follow the instructions at all. It's like what, just whatever in their mind is what they should do right at that exact moment, that's what they do. And it's the, it's the only thing they can process uh, in that moment. So this is, the dogs are acting the same way humans act under high levels of stress, right? This has been uh, my personal experience and this has been the experience of a lot of the studies to include on killing um, by, um, it's a Colonel, I think it's Colonel Plaster, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I'll have to look him up too and I'll try and put the, a link to his book uh, in the show notes as well. So these are the things that uh, I've experienced and that I've also seen other people report on. And so I want to really address this because I wanna try and get rid of this misconception among people who are relying on their dogs to protect them and even more importantly than them, their families, their children, that sort of thing. Okay, so I've seen two variations with the sport dogs, and both of these are kind of the reason that I tend away from sport dogs as protection dogs. Um, however, they are definitely better than dogs that have had no training. And the first thing that I've seen in the sport dogs are dogs that will go in and they'll bite, but they just simply bite and hold on. And the reason this is problematic to me for, like we've mentioned this a lot in a lot of our other podcasts, but one of the primary things that I've seen when working with dogs that have come to me after they've had sport training is when we start to apply a lot of pressure, whether we're uh, punching and kicking them or more problematically, when we present a weapon like a knife and we begin stabbing them with it, so we're using training knives and we're stabbing so there's no penetration of the dog, but it hurts, right? It's got like a, maybe a half inch by an eighth of an inch tip on it. And when you, you jam that into the ribs of a dog, there's a significant amount of pain, um, just like there would be if somebody did that to you. And depending on the dog, I use a different amount of force, but when we do it, the dogs tend to just close their eyes and hang on. Right, and so basically that dog just lets me kill it. And so that's problematic to me. The other thing that I've seen with sport dogs is they don't understand what they're supposed to do if there's not a suit involved. 
So a lot of the sport dogs have been trained on the tugs and the suit and the equipment is what they're biting. And like I've mentioned before, there are training locations that are able to transition the dogs off of that. A lot of the guys that do training for the law enforcement uh, agencies are able to transition the dogs away from that. But if you don't specifically go through a transition process to transition them away from the bite equipment and onto the actual person, then you try to send them on a person and they're just like, what? Like, what am I supposed to, he's not wearing a suit. I, I can't bite him. And obviously if you need the dog to defend you, that's a real problem, right? So most of our puppies, for instance, are brought out in bite work without any equipment at all. And then um, we begin using the equipment. Once they begin biting hard enough to, to hurt us, we begin using the equipment. And then periodically we will switch things around where they will use muzzles uh, or we will still agitate them without any equipment on. Uh, obviously you have to be very careful when you do that to make sure that you know whatever they're attached to is secure but we do that so that they know yeah the equipment is there and and they feel it they know that their their ability to injure you is reduced when you're wearing the equipment which is why a lot of our dogs go up the sleeves and things like that trying to find the weak spots in the equipment but they also are fully willing to go and smash somebody without the equipment on as well. Okay, so that's something to be just aware of with the sport dogs. If you have either done it in the past or if you're thinking that that's the route you wanna to go to do a protection dog, um, just understand those limitations and try to adjust for them. Um, if you're getting one of our dogs, they've already gone through all that or if you're coming and training with us uh, locally, uh, that's all part of the training process that we go through. But just be aware that you may not be able to rely on your sport dog to protect you if the only thing they know how to bite is the equipment, okay? So it's just something to be aware of. The other thing is, in order for a dog to engage the human as a pinnacle predator, which that's what human beings are, okay? and especially those people who are willing to attack you even when they see that you have a moderately sized dog, right? A medium to large sized dog. And these people see that dog. If you have good obedience in your dog, they see you moving with your dog, whether it's just in your home or whether it's out in public. And they see that it ha has some level of training for sure, right? And they just decide, yeah, that doesn't mean anything to me. I'm still gonna attack you, right? These people are even more dangerous than a human backed into a corner that has little or no experience like that or, or would be unwilling to do that, right? So these people see the, the deterrent the potential threat and they just go yeah I don't care about that I'm still gonna attack this person anyway right those people are a very high threat level when you're dealing with a threat level that high it means you're also dealing with a very high level of stress on both you and the dog right because this person is willing to harm you even when there's risk to themselves right most predators even though they're bad guys tend away from situations where they're at higher risk too, right? So even like, uh, I think it was the Bundy serial killer dude, um, when they were asking him, how would you target people? He would specifically say, if, if a female was alert and aware of her surroundings, I wouldn't target her. I was looking for people who were timid, people who didn't have much confidence, people who were out by themselves, far away from anybody who could help them, 
they intentionally looked. This guy was a really, really bad guy, hurt, didn't have any qualms about killing people, but he didn't want to place himself at risk for injury, right? Or for being caught as much as possible. He wanted easy targets. So even though a lot of these people are really bad guys, they will tend toward staying away from high risk to themselves. So when this person attacks you, when they see the threat, they're a double threat, right? Because they're willing to hurt you, but they're also willing to engage you even when there's a threat to themselves, or at least a potential threat to themselves. So you wanna make sure that you have a dog that is willing to engage. You don't wanna carry an empty, unloaded gun around, right? That's always my analogy. Okay, having a dog that's not trained to fight is like carrying a gun around that has no bullets in it. You may be able to use the deterrent effect, but if that doesn't work, you're in a really, really bad situation, right? And I, I'll, not a lot, but some of my clients that have purchased dogs from me have come to me specifically because they had a sport dog and when somebody kicked their front door in, the sport dog ran to the back room and pissed itself, okay? That's not when you wanna find out that that happened because a couple of these girls were raped in the process. And so now obviously they were relying on a dog to take care of them, it didn't. Now they have the trauma and the PTSD of the event itself and they're looking for some way to protect themselves and they want a dog that is going to be a hardcore smasher when the time comes and not run away because of the stress. So we've talked about stress before. If you, um, I'll try and put this in the show notes in terms of the stress inoculation and the physiological and cognitive results of stress uh, on our bodies. It happens to us and it happens to the dogs. So that is something that's really important to make sure that it's trained into the dog and to the greatest extent possible, make sure that you go through that type of training as well. Um, and there's lots of different ways to do that. We do some of it on our training facility, but there are, I recommend doing other um, live or real life or as close to real life scenarios as possible. And different training companies offer different things like that. So if you're interested in some of that stuff, uh, send me an email and I'll send you some of the companies that we've worked with that are not dog training companies, but they are tactical and self-defense companies that will uh, help you build toward um, specifically stress inoculation and dealing with and handling stress, decision-making under stress, all of that sort of thing. All right, and with that, the other part of this is the fight training. Okay, so again, I want my handlers and my dogs to be trained to engage the threat engage it violently so that they can end the threat quickly, right? Because the longer the fight goes on, the higher the risk is to you. So you wanna end the threat quickly, which means you need to produce a high level of violence very quickly, end the threat. That doesn't necessarily mean killing the person. It means removing their desire or ability to fight, right? That's what ending the threat is. Now, sometimes ending the threat requires you to kill the person. If they draw a firearm and they're pointing it at you or your children, then you end the threat by shooting. But if they're simply trying to grab you and throw you into the trunk of a car and your dog engages and they curl into the fetal position, run away, call your dog off, threat is, is largely neutralized, right? Now there's always variations. So, you know, somebody's gonna go, oh, well, there's a situation where maybe you shouldn't run away. Yes, there's a million different variations on every situation. That was just one example of many. So, but what you wanna make sure that you are 
willing and able to do is actually fight, right? Actually bring that violence in a way that's meaningful, okay? So some people will go under stress, They'll their stress reaction is resist or push back, which is better than, than fleeing in most situations, but because they've never been trained to fight, either they just yell and posture, or they just kind of flail around, and depending on your attacker's level of, of training or experience, flailing around may or may not be helpful to you, right? And we wanna make sure the same thing is with the dog. We don't just want the dog to go, well, he's not sticking his arms out and receiving the bite, right? Because I get that on a lot of my videos. Ah, oh, your decoy, which we don't use decoys, we have canine sparring partners, but your decoy doesn't receive the dog well. You need to be trained on how to receive the dog. Yeah, because that's how bad guys do it. When they're attacking you, they go, oh, the dog is getting ready to deploy. Hang on, let me receive them the way that the idiot in the decoy suit does. That's not how real life works, okay? So you, there is an aspect of parts of that throughout the training process, just like there's an aspect of, in martial arts, learning to punch a bag, right, or a pad. You're using those things to learn a technique, but that is not learning to fight. That's part of the training process that you develop in order to learn to fight, but you have to actually take that to the next level where you're actually sparring, and that's about as close as you can get to the real fight, right? Until you, you get on the street. And until you're in the actual life and death threat situation, which you really can't simulate, you, you'll never fully know 100%, and this goes for any fighting technique, any self-defense technique, but you want to train and stress inoculate yourself to the highest level you're capable of so that you have the highest level of probability that you are going to come out of this fight the victor, right? You're gonna come out, you're not gonna be a victim, you're gonna be the victor. You're going to end the threat, you're gonna move on, no matter what happens, if you're shot, if you're cut, if you're hit, you're still gonna win the fight, and then we'll deal with whatever the aftermath is afterwards. Right, And that is how I recommend and I train both my dogs and my handlers to deal with real life high threat situations. Right, So hopefully this has been helpful for you. This, uh, the intent of this was not in any way meant to try and bash somebody uh, or say you know people suck or anything like that, but it is meant to open your eyes to the reality that just because a dog is a Malinois or a German Shepherd or a Dutch Shepherd or one of the other kind of semi-protective breeds, right? There's, we've had clients that we've trained their dogs that are Bernese Mountain Dogs to do protection work uh, and very other, uh, various other breeds like that. There are more than just the three breeds that I work with that you can do protection training with. But just because you have one of those breeds does not mean that dog will protect you. In fact, the chances that that dog will protect you, uh, they, they may be a deterrent, right? But that's different than protecting you. And they may be protective, but that's different than protecting you. The chances that that dog will protect you, if this person sees that you have a dog and is attacking you anyway, are very, very low, less than 1%, maybe less than a tenth of a percent, okay? <clears throat> so. I tell you that not to smash anybody, but because I don't want you to end up in that situation. I don't want you to end up in a situation where you are relying on this creature to protect you, your children, your spouse, your home, and they run away and piss themselves. I do not want that for you. 
that's why we have these discussions. All right. So if you have any questions, any thoughts, you want to tell me how much I suck, you want to tell me how much you appreciate the information, you can email me at joel, J-O-E-L, at fortressk9.com. That is fortress, the letter K, the number nine, dot com. You can also sign up for our emails uh, at fortressk9.com or k9academyonline.com. And K9 Academy Online is the letter K and the number nine, Academy Online. Um, we, we do not spam anybody, but we do send out our important updates, uh, our available dogs. If we have a dog come available from a litter, uh, different things like that. We uh, put that information out on our um, email traffic first, and that's the best way to uh, connect with us on that realm. You can also find us on Facebook uh, at Fortress K9 Dogs or at K9 Academy Online and on Instagram at Fortress K9 or at K9 Academy Online and you can search both of our companies on YouTube as well. Don't forget, if you're interested in getting one of our working line puppies, make sure you contact us so that I can get you on the waiting list. Currently, our Malinois wait time is about six months. Our German Shepherd wait time is about four months and our Dutch Shepherd wait time is between six and eight months as well. So uh, you wanna make sure you get on the waiting list as soon as possible so that you can get your dog in as timely a manner as possible. With that, I look forward to seeing you guys next time and remember to train hard and stay safe. Fortress Canine Podcast.